0: Episode 11. We're flying now. We're full on in the double digits. Yeah, it's happening. It's happening. Um, if you haven't had a chance yet to listen to the previous episode with uh, Ruben, uh, it was a good one. It was a lot of fun. I recommend you jump back and check that out. If you do go listen to it, uh, we try to balance the sounds as much as we could. But you know, it's fun. We're learning. And sorry about the subscribe sound that I put in, <laughs> like Mario coins <laughs> collection. I know it gave some people a bit of a fright. That's my bad. I promise to be better with that. Um, But, yeah, I think let's kick off episode 11. I think Tev will start us off today.
1: Yeah. um, As you guys know, the first section in our podcast is something we called news from around the world. So in light of it being World Cup time happening, um, last week was our special on the World Cup. We spoke about the teams. We spoke about our predictions and really just focused on the football side of things and we'd be remiss of us to not speak about the other side of it which is obviously the the politics the logistical all of those parts that make up um, the running of the world cup and obviously this is a very landmark world cup it's the first in um, an arab country or in the middle east Um, so very similar when it was in the 2010 world cup um but this time This is the first time that a World Cup is being held in a uh, an Arab country. And secondly, in a nation that is of um, Islamic faith. So that comes with a few more rules, regulations, um, the first of which is very notable and it's seen a lot of um, comments, a lot of feedback and a lot of backlash and that is um, on the human rights grounds. So there's been an objection from many parties related to the FIFA World Cup um, for it being in a country that criminalizes the LGBTQ plus community and its treatment towards women. Yeah, very notable point. we obviously know that this is a very contentious issue and it's one of the reasons that we've seen quite a few people um, boycotting the World Cup. I think the most notable uh, or prominent figures to speak out about Qatar and the the World Cup and how politics don't mix was um, the French President Macron, who believes that sports and politics shouldn't mix. Um, So let's start with that. Let me get your opinion on, firstly, just that statement. I know it's, it's come up a lot, not just in football, but in all other spheres of sport. What do you make of the statement? sports and politics shouldn't mix
0: so you and i have spoken about this um on on different occasions maybe not necessarily politics but we've spoken about like the role of celebrities um you know if you know anyone wants to go episode three i think is the one we spoke about that um and yeah I, i guess this is a is a similar kind of thing um It's quite a tricky situation because, on the one hand, I kind of agree with what Macron is saying in that sense, that it's not necessarily something that – it's not necessary that sports and politics should mix all the time. But having said that, I also think that people that are – any position, not just sportsmen, anyone that has the the space where people will listen to them and where they hold an influence, I believe you should use – not all the time, but you can use that or should use that platform to speak about things that matter. So, like in the same token, where we spoke about Kyrie Irving, how he shouldn't use the platform to to boost anti-Semitic documentaries, like he did. Yeah. In the same token, I do believe that there's a space for um, these things to be addressed. Having said that, I don't really know, um, you know, to what extent this is supposed to go. Like, how far. There were some people that were saying um Gareth Southgate should have pulled England out of the the World Cup now that just seems ridiculous to me if I don't know like it's not there it's not all these football players have this dream to go play in the World Cup um you know and it's not they shouldn't be held you know at ransom for for what's going on there and just you know like with the LGBTQ plus um thing I think that there's a lot of uh, so the whole thing is like they were saying that people won't be punished. People can express themselves as they feel fit. Um, you know, like people can hold hands, but they also just need to respect the culture in Qatar, which to an extent, of course, that makes sense as well, you know? Um, but I do think what is happening at the moment is quite, quite cool. Like, you know, England, Harry Kane has come out and said he will wear the, the armband, the rainbow flag armband, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Gareth Bale said the same thing. England actually came in a plane that was called Over the Rainbow and it on the on the tail it had uh, the LGBTQ plus flag. And I think doing stuff like that I think is good. Um but I do think it is quite tricky in general. What what are your thoughts? Like do you think in terms of like sports and politics and mixing it? What what are your opinions?
1: Uh I think there's always going to be an overlap with sports and politics. Yeah. Um also because sport isn't a, an isolated silo, you know, um, it's still part of a greatest business ultimately. And we see that, um, business more often than not comes first before any kind of social justice or social integrity, um, more often than not. I think it's very interesting, um, that in England and Wales have taken that approach. completely understand making awareness the kind of platform that they use to um educate everybody um around these um issues people being marginalized etc it is tricky because you also need to understand that in um an islamic um nation that they have their rules and regulations and it's yeah I think to an extent it's also a bit unfair to try and impose that on them i mean they're essentially yeah. welcoming other nations into their country and they said look these are our laws these are our customs this is what you guys need to be wary of it i think it's it's different had they invited everybody in and then once everybody was at the world cup and then they were kind of coming out of the laws to say yeah okay um, you're Arrested. going to find a thousand pounds because yeah. there's no handholding in public and people were completely yeah. unaware of this and didn't know what was going on. Um, so I think it is a very, a very tricky thing yeah. to, um, kind of balance out and see all sides, absolute, like there seems to be a lot more gray area in, in this kind of conversation. And, um, I think the second point I'd bring in is I think there's a bit. Um, it's a bit unfair from the Western world trying to, uh, paint this World Cup as the worst World Cup ever. Um, I mean, we haven't even gotten started with the the actual World Cup. I know there was um, a lot and notably so things that happened in the lead up to the World Cup, the migrants, uh, death, mm-hmm. which we'll, we'll touch on as one of the, um, other reasons that people wanted to boycott along with... Um, the alcohol, um, rules that I think they did yeah. a 360 on. So obviously they have the naming partner Budweiser who were the only or the sole distributor of alcohol at the venues. And that's, I think been revoked in the 11th hour, but funnily, well, funny enough, it's still available for premium hospitality members. Yeah. Everyone that's in the general, um, Eating at the matches you're not allowed or alcohol is prohibited of any kind any kind of sell to the general public but as soon as you've elevated yourself into the, the hierarchy ask. of um, hospitality suddenly you're open to a few more privileges mm. which is mm. i find yeah very ironic i think you, you need to have a a stance and yeah if you've drawn the line at Alcohol will not be sold at the venues because of these reasons and stay stick to that rooted in that. Yeah. You can't then be well if you give me an extra twenty thousand pounds then I'll make Well
0: some I was possession. I was listening and um, I think if you do have the time to listen to it, uh, the BBC um, uh, podcast they do like a whole every day they're actually doing a world cup daily episode and I'm finding it very interesting because they're also doing the same thing they're touching on football and the matters at like the um these human rights matters at the same time but you know this thing of them changing the rules for the alcohol at this at the 11th hour one of the big problems that people have is that it's not necessarily the prohib uh, like prohibiting the sale of alcohol or choosing who gets to buy and who not but They didn't really discuss it with anyone. They just made the announcement. And now this is the new rule. And a lot of people are concerned that like, okay, so for example, you've now said that it's okay for me as a whoever, let's say the LGBTQ plus community that is attending the world cup. You said it's okay for them to hold hands and show affection to a certain amount. What happens if they make a 360 on those decisions as well, just like they've done with the alcohol. And I think a lot of people are like, they're not so sure whether they're really skeptical about whether or not to go. And the fact that they're changing quite a big thing as well, to be fair, um, this late, I think that's also concerning people that, that they can just flip their stance just like that.
1: Yeah. And I think, yeah, uh, people need to be held in account um, for this. So there needs to be clear distinction and it kind of has to be a um, a breakdown of all of this in black and white that yeah. both has been signed off by the government by FIFA and can be distributed to media and the public alike. So, you know, exactly. Almost like a bullet the point. Like
0: yeah. These are the regulations
1: da, da, da. even if it's like a 10 page document that's been made public. Now everyone has the physical black and white. I know exactly the perimeters yeah. or the, the grounds in yeah. which I can operate. Should I go to, to Qatar for it? So yeah. Yeah. There's, um, A lot to touch on um, With the migrant workers Um, I believe it was 6,500 migrant workers That died in preparation for this World Cup um, Yeah Which is an astounding amount Honestly, Mm. what are the conditions And They touched on this briefly I don't know if you saw the FIFA Uncovered Documentary on Netflix
0: It's on my list, but
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I watched it recently And it um, discusses how FIFA ordinarily was just a, a sporting body. So it had a uh, select few nations who played in the World Cup. And I think it was from 94 um, when FIFA adjusted its um, perception to not just be a body, but to be a profitable company so it talks through the deals with adidas with coca-cola with the alcohol brands like budweiser and how they kept um adjusting their business their mission their values in order to become a yeah a very profitable business so it's it's really interesting to see um just how how they operate between Running of a business versus, again, like we touched on the ethics and the the human side of things. And uh, the, I'm not sure what his name is, but he was one of the um, heads of the Qatar bids. So his um, response to the migrant workers that have passed away, he firstly said that the figure has been um, bloated, amplified, exaggerated, and exaggerated um, greatly. from what it was. I think his numbers were around 35 um, that died in the construction of the the stadiums and another 35 in and around um, the nation. So it wasn't necessarily with the construction of stadiums. And he said that the nation cannot be held accountable for a private company's yeah running of their business so giving them judgment as opposed to the specific company whose responsibility is to look after its workers so it being a private company that got the tender or the deal or whatever it is they are the ones that need to be held accountable firstly and foremost before i think the one of the
0: arguments though against that is kind of like you know you firstly as you know we know within these countries all countries actually Uh, the government has definitely has a right to set uh, labor laws, right? So that's the one thing is that people are like, okay, yeah, but you can blame the the companies, but then you have two things to answer to. One, were these companies in violation of your country's labor laws? And if so, they should be held accountable by you as a country, Qatar. Two, if they are not... Um, like, let's say you don't have clear labor laws, then as a country, you shouldn't be giving the tenders to companies that you know are committing what's essentially called, they're calling it, in, in what is it, indentured labor, which is essentially just a modern term for slavery, you know, like, because they're saying that the people that died were working in horrific conditions. They were working in the heat, um, which, by the way, they, the players can't even, apparently these, these um, stadiums are so, like, state of the art that it's, like, air condition, so it's kind of like so mm. these professionals can't play football for 90 minutes in the heat but you can expect people to work in that in that heat um you know and that and this is now summer when they were working obviously as well so yeah i think that's the argument against that it's like okay but what are qatar's laws what are protecting these people and if you're saying okay well hold you why are you holding qatar responsible you should talk to the company it's like yeah but you gave them the tender you chose that company so it feels I, – I wouldn't be surprised if the the numbers – because I also read that he was saying like uh, people were taking a whole bunch of unrelated people that maybe were working on the stadiums, but they died of like an illness or they died in a, in a car accident and they were taking people that they were adding those numbers, lumping it all together. And he mm-hmm. was saying in the context of that, I wouldn't be too shocked to learn stuff like that. But to blame the companies, I don't know, for me – that doesn't work for me, but I, that's just me, man.
1: Yeah, I think I think everyone needs to be held um, accountable for matters like this. It's people's lives that you're dealing with here. It's not like, ah, yeah. oh, this is a contract for sweets or yeah. alcohol. As as important as that is, um, it doesn't amount to the the cost of a life. So that is something that honestly needs to be taken with more severity. And people need to own up to things like this. Um, I uh, yeah, I don't know how you feel about the World Cup. Has has any of the news, the stories, the the lead up to it deterred you from firstly watching the World Cup? Secondly, um, are you quite conflicted if you are watching the World Cup? Kind of, what's the position that you, uh, you it's, feel? That it's it's a on?
0: very tricky it's a very tricky thing. Uh, to be honest with you, like, man, I love the World Cup. I love it. I think it's such a cool. Uh, thing like I really do I think it it's so tricky I am conflicted I am a little bit conflicted about about watching it to be honest with you I think I still am going to I'm not gonna lie I think I'm still going to watch the world cup um but it is it's not an easy it's not an easy decision you know and some people will turn around and be like oh yeah you know like the same thing of a meat argument like oh like if I don't eat the cow who's who's like someone else just will kind of like what difference does it make if I don't watch, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I am a bit conflicted about this one. Having said that, you know, I haven't been, we spoke about it in the episode with Ruben and he was saying that it's lacking that feeling that a world cup usually has. Um, I don't think I'm going to watch Ecuador and Qatar play. If I'm honest with you, like <laughs> I might skip that, match, but I I do feel excited now for it. I do. I'm not going to lie. I do feel excited. And it's, um, yeah it, it's tricky it's tricky how about you do you feel conflicted or or how do you yeah, feel definitely. and maybe this can be our wrap-up question
1: yeah definitely um quite conflicted we look for social justice and we we mm-hmm. we are advocates of social justice but i'd go that far as, as saying that and like you i i've kind of centered my sporting world and interest and obviously around football. And this is uh, one of those distinctive tournaments that come around and you always have eyes for it. I mean, it's, it's the one time that you see your footballing stars possibly achieve the unachievable. And yeah, yeah, Yeah. there is a lot of conflict around this. I think um, for me, there's also this World Cup feels like it's a bit more, scrutiny against it. And yeah, there are some grounds for it. I think it's also um, a bit too scrutinized um, to some extent. Because if I looked at, if I take the 2010 World Cup as an example, the first in Africa, um, I don't think there was as much scrutiny around this. And in that documentary, they actually talk about how these bids came about. So 2010, uh, 2018 and 2022. They don't touch too much on the Brazil one in 2014, but um, they do say that South Africa one was bought, because um, there's a, a, a definite hierarchy when it comes to votes um, of the FIFA, what do I call it, the, the bases around the world. So obviously, you have UEFA, that's Europe, you have CONCACAF, that, uh, I think this is the Americans, you have conan bowl something like that yeah um that's your north america's in the pacifics you have uh caf etc so in order to get the swaying vote or the deciding vote you had people at the top giving um bribes in order to uh swing the vote so okay yeah i will not give too much detail people should just go and watch it very interesting yeah i get a lot of insight into it Um, But I don't feel that even the South African World Cup had this much scrutiny, maybe because we didn't have as much media outlets as what we see in this day and age. But, um, yeah, I don't know if it's my inclination that because it's the Western world looking at um, the East, they just feel like there's a lot more scrutiny. Um,
0: it's it is also tricky though like because you know the climate that we live in it's there's a lot more attention to this kind of thing and funny enough i was actually saying to Katya this morning like if anything the fact that these conversations are happening to this degree is a positive thing right the fact that we're having these conversations again on this kind of platform or just amongst each other but you know it's the same thing with like tv shows like the office for example steve carell came out and he's like there's no way the offers could come out now and be as successful, based on the content of what it is. So it's like you're saying with the 2010 World Cup. It's just, it's 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 the political climate is also based on the backdrop of what's happening in the world at this moment in time. How closely we are looking at these kinds of things, but you know, just you're gonna watch, right?
1: I am gonna be. Um some, some
0: interest to the World Cup. Yeah. It's, it's so difficult as a lifelong football fan not to. I, so I like, yeah, it's difficult. And some people don't understand because they don't have the same kind of connection to football as, right. as, as us. And, you know, it's fine. Like I also, you know, I also don't like being in the position where I feel like I have to justify my choice to watch football. It just feels a bit, it's, it's hard. It's tough. Um, yeah, yeah no, I think, It's a, it is a tough one, to be honest with you. Um, Yeah, that's just my final thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I think you've summed it up perfectly. That's uh, the position I think a lot of us are in. um, Lots of conflict for sure. Um, But I think even in viewing the World Cup, it it won't just be the game. So everything is likely to be World Cup-centered. So even the news, watching the news, there'll still be an involvement of the World Cup. So it'll be interesting to see Everything that comes out of it, even beyond the football. So, kind of yeah. see, like, okay, last point of touch on is did you see the fans? So, there was big hype about who the fans are in Qatar to welcome their, their teams. And when people viewed or took a, a closer look of the fans, that they weren't actually people from those respective nations. So, the um, article came out that says, the, Qatar, the Qataris are hiring Pakistani um, residents to be or pose as fans. So they get paid about $10 a day and they get three meals a day to pose as fans. So if you look at the photos, it'll be Team Argentina, Team Germany, Team Spain, whatever. And it's majority, a lot of Indian gents. To what end?
0: Like, what's the point?
1: I think it's to build hype, to build an anticipation. Um, yeah, so it could for be, yeah the actual um let me call them the official supporters from these nations come in kind of have like a welcome committee so Mm. aside from the actual um individuals that are working for um fifa or qatar whatever it is to welcome the respective countries you have people to build excitement kind of get Ah, the, the hype for the tournament up yeah.
0: Well, people also spoke about the fact that Qatar's um, population is smaller than, like, London, like, and they're hosting a World Cup, you know. So it doesn't surprise me that they would need some. I know that fans are arriving. I know the, the Red Army, the Welsh guys, are supposed to be arriving tomorrow. Um, but, yeah, like you said, the news will be surrounding that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, we'll keep a close eye on it, I'm sure.
1: Almost oh, definitely. Um, so, again, guys, let us know your opinions. What do you feel um about the world cup are you going to be watching it if not um what are your reasons mm-hmm. yeah what yeah give us some insights tell us how you feel let us know don't forget we're on instagram tiktok youtube uh google podcast uh, apple spotify. podcast
0: spotify <laughs> and always like our <laughs> like comment subscribe Ding! do uh... all the things do
1: the... <laughs> the super yeah yeah, subscribe yeah yeah and If you're dipping out, we thank you for joining us and we'll be moving into section two of our podcast.
0: All right. So that was quite a meaty and juicy and in-depth conversation. A little bit about what's going on behind the scenes at Qatar. And now we're going to move into section two of the podcast, which we call Getting Athletic. So this is quite a Uh, a lot of people are talking about it. Um, And, you know, why not just join in and have our quick little 5, 10-minute discussion about it as well. It is the Cristiano Ronaldo interview that happened on Pierce Morgan, Uncensored. Now, this was released um, two days ago upon recording. Well, now that we're recording, by the time this comes out, it will have been, I don't know, eight or nine days ago. Um, but basically the full interview has come out, but before the full interview came out, there were little snippets that got released, Mm. um, onto social media. Um, and there has been a lot of different opinions on everything that has been said. There's been a lot of different views on everything that has been said. And I think what you and I can do is we can work through some of the things that he said, um, and just share our opinions on it. Um, and just kind of, you know, a view from the outside as, as, you know, we're not Man United fans. I like Ronaldo as a player, um, but we can just actually share our opinion. So off the bat, what I want to ask you is, on this whole thing, this whole interview that he's done, What what is your, what's the first thing that comes to mind? What's your first opinion on, let's talk about, instead of, for now, focusing on individual things he said, your overarching interview, uh, opinion on the interview. Mm. One is timing to his choice of
1: um, platform. So I think oof, he could have done this in many different ways. I think there's definitely a a reason why he did what he did, where he did it, with whom he did it. Um, so yeah, I think it could have been done better. I, I understand. Impact-wise, this is probably the the best option that is out there. Um, yeah, you've been given the platform of a man that well, it is title of his show is uncensored. He literally has the floor for you, and poof, didn't Ronaldo make use of that? Um, I, I see it as his his move out. So obviously, you we heard about it, how to
0: try and move.
1: I think this forces it. So a lot of the time we hear about players kind of forcing the hand of the club. So say it was a a transfer that they're waiting to happen or Mm. they've gone back on their word. Cool. I'm not going to show up for training or I'm going to come late to training and you can find me whatever. It's fine. I don't care until I've essentially forced your hand. And um, Man United played a lot of hardball. They said, look, no, I'm not going to sell you. You're not up for sale. I know this tons of interest in you because of the caliber of player that you are, but you're a Manchester United player, you are signed and you're on our books until X date and for all intents and purposes, you're part of my plans. These are the words from Ten Hag. As reassuring as that is, um, Mm -hmm. obviously it didn't quite translate to minutes on the pitch. Um, We noted the Storming out of Old Trafford um, in the Tottenham First game, top. and yeah, in my opinion, this is his ticket out. So this is like, ah, uh, how do we, you think?
0: We passed the point of no return. I'm out. I'm. A, how do you think? How do you think he comes across though? Like now, like just your general feeling. How did he come across to you?
1: It plays into the the arrogance um, conversation. So almost like his ego is too big for um, the position that he's in at Man United. So if the club can't work at giving me what I want, there isn't a middle ground. Yeah, it's done. It's an absolute. It's either I'm in your team and I'm playing, or I'm not in your team and I'm not playing. I'm not not one of these... um, up and coming guys that need a five minutes here, a 15 minute cameo. I'm the star. Give me my flowers. Let me play. I'm here to play. Okay. You're paying me a huge salary. I'm here to do the business. There's yeah, a reason why you're paying me this top dollar. Yeah. I'm here yeah. to prove yeah. that. What's, what's your thoughts on it?
0: My thing is, so he says in the interview that he was actually quite close to joining City, Um which would have been interesting to see what that looked like, um, to be honest with you. Um, I will say the first mistake that happened is that when he signed for Man United, it felt like Man United signed him to prevent City from getting him as opposed to signing him because they wanted him. And that, for me, was the first problem. United needed to focus on themselves and realize that that they maybe didn't need him at that time. That's my initial feeling that I got. They did it to spite city. And at the end of the day, they just spited themselves. That's the first thing that I would say just off the bat. I will say that when I, cause I watched the full interview, there were some parts that I think were quite controversial. I think to be honest with you, I think for, for a large portion of it, he carried himself quite well. I believe that I'm not talking about the very controversial things that he said, just the way that he spoke there was a lot of times when you could see he could have very easily insulted Ten Hag or whoever it was, and he didn't. He was very um, pragmatic in a lot of the things that he said, which I also can respect. Um, and what he said in the beginning when Pier- – Piers Morgan, I think, comes off the best in this situation because Piers Morgan gets this, ground- this groundbreaking interview. I will say, honestly, like I'm not the biggest fan of Piers Morgan. I found that he asked very pointed questions – Uh, Very leading questions, which I think Ronaldo, Mm. to be honest, dealt with very well. He managed not to be questioned into a corner. Um, But right in the beginning, Piers Morgan asked him, why? Why now? Like, why are we doing this interview? And Ronaldo said, because you get to hear from everyone else. The media gets to say what they need to say. Ten Hag gets to say what he wants to say. Everyone gets to say what they want, but I don't get to say it in the way that I want to, and I wanted the opportunity to do that. And that I can respect. That, I must say, I think is is admirable. Yeah. Now, when we look at Ten Hag saying one thing and then in reality it being something else, you know, like you said, like Ten Hag said, "Oh, he's a part of my plans." I don't really believe that. I know I don't think Ten Hag ever had him as part of his plans. I'm going to be honest with you. I really don't believe that. Um and you know with him leaving the Tottenham ground I also found it a bit weird because and he pointed this out in his interview and I want to get your thoughts on it like a week or two weeks before they played City and City you guys smashed them, obviously. I mean six three is probably not even a true reflection on what that match was, but it was six three and Ten Hag they asked him why didn't you bring Ronaldo on? And he said, No, I respect his career too much to bring him on in a game like that. And then two weeks later, you three one down against Tottenham. They were three one down, I think, or or they were two three one up, two 0 up, something yeah, like they that. They really were winning. And then he wanted to bring Ronaldo on for three minutes. So I'm like, you respect his career too much to bring him on against City where, whatever you're saying, but then you want to bring him on for three minutes against Spurs in a game that's already done and dusted. So I I kind of also feel like Ten Hag does have some questions to answer in the sense of like, I don't think he's been completely honest about everything. I think he's been very pragmatic about a lot of things. Um, Overall, I get what you're saying about him it does have a little sense of like throwing his toys a little bit and just being, uh, I think he carried himself well, to be honest with you. I think the timing is bad. Uh, I feel, um, and I wonder what effect this is going to have on the world cup. They did say things like I saw Bruno Fernandez had an interview cause you saw that he went to shake his hand and they're like, Oh, Bruno Fernandez Ooh, is frosty. so cold. Mm-hmm. They asked Bruno Fernandez about that. He's like, no, there was no, like, did you hear the sound? And they were like, no. And he's like, there was really nothing to it. Like it wasn't like that at all. So I do think the media does take things out of context a little bit. Um, But yeah, it it is tricky. Um, What I wanted to ask you was this. He said something about, uh, he doesn't respect Ten Hag because Ten Hag doesn't respect him, right? That's, he very clearly said that. What do you think is his responsibility as a, as one of the best players in the world, his reputation, all these things considered? Do you think that's something that needs to be considered when managing him? Do you think, let me ask this, do you think Ten Hag has held himself? Do you think Ronaldo is all to blame for everything that's going on here? Or do you think there's a little bit more to it?
1: No, I think both sides um, have to, yeah, um back their actions. Um, So 10-0 saying, look, you're a part of my plans and then you're not. Ah, that that doesn't fly. If, um, I think it was last week when you mentioned all or nothing, which gives us insight into what's happening in the back. And both in the Arsenal one and even in the Spurs one, you have managers that come up front and I've seen it. um, I think it was also mentioned in the City one, where players, when the manager comes in and he knows players aren't part of his plans, be upfront and man enough about it to say, Tyler, you know what? I'm looking to have a specific type of striker. You have a lot of ability. You bring a lot of uh, strengths in kind of your mold of striker, but I'm looking for something different. I need someone that gives me A, B and C. yeah. Don't take this personally, but you don't quite fit what my profile is for strike, and I think it's best if we can try and either have. So let's just get clarity and understanding out the way. If we have two options, option A, you adjust your game to suit my style of play. So I'm going to ask you to do A, B, and C. Are you able to do that? Yes or no. Yeah. Yeah. You say no. Cool. Then option B is let's find an option for you to. Apply your trade elsewhere. Yeah. If it means we need to cover the cost of your salary, we'll find salary kind of a negotiating end, yeah. ground, and we'll find solutions to this. You've seen it with, what Arteta kind of taking the stand against Oba. Okay, slightly different, um, but in the all or nothing with Spurs, um, Mourinho was very up and um, honest with Danny Rose and I think Daily Ali as well. Told you straight. Look. You're not the it's kind not, of mold yeah. I'm looking for. And yeah. these are our options. How do you want to play yeah. this? So have a conversation, have this, um, yeah, open cards on the table discussion and say, look, this is what I want. Now I'll give mm. you an opportunity to state mm. what your intentions are, what you or desires are. Cool. Is there a middle ground working with yeah? Here? So Ten Hag needs to be accountable for that. If I'm part of your plans, state it. How am I a part of your plans? Don't just say yeah. Yeah, you're part of my team. We're going to keep you around and you're going to help the team. That's not going to yeah. help anybody. It's very vague. Especially for a player of Ronaldo's caliber, one, of his age, two. If you're yeah. within the last two, three years of your career, I think he said he wants to play another two, three years. Two more like, years. He, he like said he wants to retire when he's
0: 40, yeah.
1: <clears throat> so if you know that you're essentially in the twilight phase of your career, give me the opportunity to go and play if I know yeah, one Um, I want to play regular football. Two, I'd like to be in Europe. Cool. What considerations do we have for that? And yeah, yeah, having that open line of discussion, I think to your point, he should get some credit for getting an opportunity to voice his side of things because I don't see it a lot with players. Players are very coy when they um, have interviews like post-game or whatever it is. Yeah. So I do think players... Oh, I had a bit of a disadvantage when it comes to saying their their side of the story. Yes. I just think the timing was off and what he was looking to achieve with it.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I do I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Um but you know, there's also a lot more to the interview than just and uh there were I, I did quite like the fact that um you know, I, I did feel like Piers Morgan was doing a bit of like uh sucking up. I'm gonna be honest with you. I really do feel like there was too many time. I mean, if you can't hear in my voice, I'm not the biggest fan. Not that I think he cares, and you know, must be careful because Piers Morgan will cancel us. But you know, I'm not the biggest fan, and I. But I did like the fact that it wasn't all about. Um, there was a lot about it. Even Ronaldo said like things like Man United hasn't progressed. The technology still at the same. Uh, he also said something really dope when he said that he hopes Arsenal wins the Premier League, if not Man United (laughs) and Arsenal. I thought that was sick. I actually need to tell Ruben because he's been giving me a hard time about this. I'm going (laughs) to tell him that his hero is supporting us though. So he should as well. Um, But I liked also that there was more to it, that they spoke a little bit about like the tragedy that Ronaldo went through in losing one of his children. Um, And I do think it was in a, to a large extent, quite well-rounded in a lot of ways, but I also wanted to ask you this Um, when it comes to moving forward now for Ronaldo. So we know man United has said that they are exploring uh, their legal uh, options here on how to cancel his contract. Essentially he has about, I think I worked it out. It's about 16 million pounds still to make in the seven months that he's going to be working there. Legally it will cost them about 15 million pounds to cancel his contract. Um, so I guess my question is, do you think that there is any scenario in which Ronaldo can wear a Man United shirt again? A. And B, a lot of the pundits are saying like that Ten Hag actually showed a lot of respect for Ronaldo by making him captain. It was like two or three weeks ago. I don't think that was... I strongly disagree with that. I don't think Ten Hag has been showing him much respect, to be honest. And fair play... If you don't, if you don't want him in your team, that's fair enough. But you know, there's that saying that I heard in Batman that I love is don't, don't wee on my head and tell me it's raining, you know, don't piss on my head mm-hmm. and tell me that it's raining. So I kind of feel like he's not part of your plans. And I felt like it was actually, it was such a weird call when he made him captain for that match. And I found it like actually meaningless. So my one question is one, do you actually think that there has been that level of respect that the pundits are talking about? And two, is there any future here? Man United and Ronaldo
1: one answering question one we also need to remember that majority of these pundits are United boys they're the old gods of United that played with Ronaldo that ran Ridiculous. to him that look up to him that can't stop singing his praises um and so that's one aspect of it two having played for United they're always going to defend United yeah. So they're going to give the coach credit even where it's not rightly deserved. I don't think that Ten Hag has fully backed his words. In a lot of these positions, you have to be very democratic with your words and say, oh, well, you know, he is um, a great player and he's he's a part of my plans. I think he can really bring um, another dimension to our team in whatever capacity that is, which we know is bogus. We just know it means... One, I'm trying to calm tensions here. I know the influence that Ronaldo is. So going back Mm. to what we said previously, Ronaldo has massive influence, um, both in the game, both outside the game. And that comes with a lot of responsibility on his part and of his club's part, because like we said, as much as it is centered around football, and this is a player looking to apply his trade, we also have to take into consideration that it is a business. Mm-hmm. The most profitable player, him and Messi, probably in the world, I think shirt sales yeah. sold out, which is a massive contribution to the club's fund. You can keep um, generating money off Ronaldo in his name yeah. and even so in the media to sell articles yeah. to get um, engagement. If you just put the word Ronaldo in any article, it's going to get eyes on it. Yeah. Yeah. So the media has obviously leveraged, um, his name, which I think he does mention, um, Yeah. also under the criticism that he gets from Gary Neville, Rain Rooney, etc. Yeah. All the guys. Um, so one, I, I don't think that there has been, um, objective, um, discussion from pundits media, um, and part of, of football and Ten Hag himself. Secondly, I don't see a situation where Ronaldo wears a shirt anymore. It's all about um, damage limitation now and how we can mm. both get what we want. From United's point of view, it's getting him removed from the squad to take away any of the influence that he might have um, with his teammates, with the youngsters, etc., and to minimize damage to the brand of Manchester United. And then from Ronaldo's side of things, looking just for options to apply his trade. I think there was talk about David Beckham coming in with a bit from it Miami. There was talk about him going back to sporting Napoli. There were a few people, um, but yeah, again, you need to find someone that's able to pay him his 500,000 pounds a week salary and find a fit um, for him. So what's, yeah, what's your, yeah. your take on those questions?
0: Um, I think to be honest, I think Ten Hag has come in and he's changed uh, some stuff at the club, which I do. I must say I respect. I do think a lot of it has been bogus, and I think it's difficult to manage someone like having Ronaldo. In, having someone as influential as Ronaldo in your squad and not necessarily wanting to have him there, I, cannot, I do not envy being in that position. I don't think it's easy to be in that situation. It's part of the reason that I actually think it was very difficult for Ole Gunnar because I actually don't think he necessarily wanted Ronaldo. And then he got him, and then his whole team dynamic sh- changed. So, you know, that's kind of how I feel about that. I think that Ten Hag has done a good job at Man United so far. The way he's dealt with Ronaldo, I think he did it as best as he could. But I do think a lot of the stuff he said has been bogus. So I don't necessarily think he has been necessarily giving him the respect that he believes he has or that a lot of the pundits are saying that he has been giving him. Like I said, that whole captaincy thing, I I actually think was a bunch of rubbish. I don't Mm. even think that was, I actually think that was more disrespectful than respectful, to be honest with you. Um, I think it was more of a power play of like, look how I can pull the strings, actually. Like, I can paint the picture that I'm giving you respect. I'm the one in control here. Um, Two, no, I don't foresee any future as a men United player for Ronaldo, to be honest with you. Uh, he was very uh, coy in that. And he's like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. I think he knows full well that this was his move out. He's trying to get a move out. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if there's already something lined up for him, um, you know, because essentially what he's doing here is like, if United finds the legal ways to get out of this without paying him out, that's 15 million pounds pounds—that that they would save and he would lose essentially. And although the man has a lot of money – Um, it's still a lot of money to just throw away. So I wouldn't be surprised if something is lined up for him. But no, I don't see a future there. I think, um, you know, my final comments on this before I wrap it up for us is that I think this is a huge World Cup for him now um, because essentially, I wouldn't say he's playing for his career necessarily in the same way like someone like Reece Nelson at Arsenal is playing for his career. Um, It's Ronaldo still, but if he has a big... World Cup, and he shows that he can still do it on the big stage. I think a lot of people will be much more interested in January. But in the same token, if he has a bad World Cup, you never know what's going to happen. And a lot of uh, – I was actually listening to someone earlier, and they were they made a very good point. I'm sure a lot of managers are, like, looking at this and, like, I don't want to do risk want having him in my squad. Mm-hmm. Who would want that? What if he speaks up against me? What if, you know, I don't want to have to deal with that. Um, but I must give him – uh, a round of applause for actually speaking his mind um i think it is respect uh, is i do maybe i don't necessarily agree with the platform and the way it was done um a lot of people are like oh he could have just gone to the higher ups and been quiet but he clearly had a point to prove he clearly had something he felt like he wanted to get off his chest so yeah i think for me that's that's it's it's done for him at man united which as an as a outside fan, I'm kind of sad about because it was actually a bit of a distraction that the rest of us, like it's like they had to deal with their own internal things. And I think, to be honest with you, I think it's the best for United to kind of close that chapter for now. I think there was a, mm. a chance for a poetic ending. However, I still firmly believe that the reasoning for signing him to take him away from City is very counterproductive. And Arteta says it every week when they ask him questions about other teams, he's like, no, we focus on ourselves. We make sure that what happens in our dressing room is correct and that what we are, we work towards, what we're working towards. Pep Guardiola does the same thing. When they ask him about other teams, he says nothing. No, we focus on our next game. And, yeah, I think, I think yeah, there's a lot to be said there and I look forward to seeing how he plays in the World Cup. Um, I think it's going to be quite a good one um, in that sense.
1: Um, yeah, I just wanted to say... I think you're right um you must give him a bit more credit i was actually gonna ask a 30 second thing after i've said my last comment was one um do you think that players should be allowed to speak up should they not be heard within the confines of their club um what is my second point okay i'll, I'll just leave it at that but i'd say yeah um kudos to him for speaking his truth big credit there. Be really interesting to see what happens post world cup um and i do think yeah his um chapter has ended with united mm-hmm. we'll see where he goes he's always going to be ronaldo i think he still has a few more years left in him um at the top um yeah and i think he'll still be banging in goals very oh, he goes. yeah the second thing also 30 seconds very quick do you think he would still be considered a united legend post this interview
0: okay so the first thing um should players have the opportunity to speak i think it's so tricky because of what the media does the media is actually trash at the moment like it really twists and bends and everything and i think there should be a way for for players to actually express themselves and where they should feel um you know like they should be able to speak about certain things um yeah I do think so. I just don't know what that would look like. So that's what my short answer to that would be. Secondly, would he still be considered a legend? Let me put it this way. With the Glazers there, he'll never get a statue. I don't think. I still think he'll be considered a legend by a lot of people. um, Purely because I think it's, it is quite sad, actually, that this is going to be the way it ends, to be honest with you, because even as an opposing fan, I have a lot of respect for him and his career, of course. I mean, it's Ronaldo, you know, like, you know, you kind of just wish it, it didn't end like that for him. And, like, on the other hand, it's like popping off for Messi at P- PSG at the moment. And, yeah, I think you you have a you really have an angel and a villain coming into this World Cup, right? You have the angel in the sense of Messi and the villain in terms of Ronaldo, Um not that I see it that way, but I do think to a large extent he'll still be considered a legend because of everything he, he has done. I, I still stand by that the second coming was a bit of a mistake. He doesn't think so, and that's ultimately what matters. Legend, yes, but a lot – his legacy is definitely damaged.
1: Oh, I, mean, I think yeah. that's where we'll wrap it up. Very, yeah. very interesting Opinions, lots of touch points, very ooh controversial statements said from both of us. So let us know what your <laughs> opinion is. Give us your rundown on Ronaldo. Does he have a legacy at United? Or what do you think his next steps are? And was he right to do what he did? Yeah, let us let us down. know. Just remember: Instagram, TikTok, Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, YouTube, and our Website. So that concludes part two of our podcast, and we'll be moving into the final section, part
0: three. And here we go. Welcome back. Here we go for section three of the podcast, which we like to call What's Good in Your Hood. So, as those people that listen to this section of the podcast will know, this is a little part that Tev and I really hold close to our hearts. We really enjoy it. Um, because it's where we, although we share our opinions in every other section, this is a little bit more on a personal level, uh, that we, we find these things that we want to talk about. And the one that I think is quite apt for us to talk about as expats and just as I would say people that are now entering, I don't know what the prime of your adulthood would be, but we like really getting into that point. Like, you know, I've never felt, like more of an adult than I do at the moment. I'm not going to lie. I had this revelation the other day, but we basically want to talk a little bit about an article that we came across um, that was centered around figuring out what you want out of life. Oof. Oh, yeah. It's a big, big thing. Question, it's, it's a big question. It really is a big question. Um, and I think it's a really important thing that people need to talk about because, You know, I I, I was thinking about it the other day. Sometimes we feel like we're not necessarily living up to, you know, like, am I doing enough? Am I in so many different ways? Am I doing enough in my career? Am I doing enough in my marriage? Am I doing enough in my personal life? Am I giving enough back? You know, and I was thinking to myself, like, you know, to ask yourself that is actually a privilege because if you look at, like, some people, are just trying to make enough money for a meal, you know, and they don't have time to ask themselves, like, you know, um, am I doing enough, right? So I I also would like to begin this conversation by saying this, figuring out what you want out of life, although this might sound weird. It's actually quite a privileged conversation to have, Um, you know, and I I do just want to recognize that we spoke a little bit about the, the migrant workers and stuff at the beginning of the podcast in the Qatar section. Um, and you know, I, I often feel sad that, you know, some people, when you think, what do you want out of life? They're like, I just want to eat, you know? So I do want to caveat this conversation with that. Um, you know, so anyway, just, that's just the introduction, but now seeing as we are some of the privileged few in this sense to have this conversation,
1: yeah.
0: what there basically is this article that we found is that people So there's been a whole bunch of research that has been done and that people, um, conform their behaviors or they change their behaviors, um, to kind of conform with what's going on around you. And you mainly do that to gain acceptance. So basically what they're saying is that we go along, uh, doing what other people do because we want to fit in and we want to be accepted and we want to be liked. Do you think yourself do you think that's something that you could put your hand up and say yeah or 100 percent, i'd do that Man, <laughs> in, what sense, in the, what sense
1: all the hands um yeah and it it's mostly such a a great question i think it's a question that um definitely evolves as we grow up um kind of early on um you have a A vague idea of what you want from your life what you want to do we always start with a career and kind of center our world around that oh i want to be an astronaut and then astronaut changes to be an accountant or a lawyer and that then Mm -hmm. changes to be oh i want to be a a teacher or a sound engineer and life you know takes so many twists turns goes through many avenues and you end up here and you're just like sure one I never thought I'd find myself in this space, career-wise, um, relationship-wise, um, internally as a person, I didn't know be here. Um, so I definitely put my hands up, all my hands for um, looking to, especially to be liked. So uh, by nature, I was always an introvert. And being an introvert, you, have a lot of walls. You have a lot of barriers and you have a lot of self-preservation that happens. And in that, I'm always, I was always looking to, um, you know, be the likable person by almost being the, everyone's favorite. Yeah. I think that was, so you kind of adjust who you are in accordance to who you're who you're with uh, surrounded or with yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so I know that Tyler is a big rugby fan cool I'm going to start watching some springbok games it means yeah. I have a common interest even if I hate rugby it's it's a means to get acceptance from Tyler it means I can potentially gain a friend from Tyler if it means mm. Tyler's into rap Tyler's a big f fan okay cool maybe I yeah. don't like that but it's it's I've taken or I've put more responsibility and, um, yeah, importance on what everyone else's interests are before I look at my own. And it's your, yeah. I think it's been such a long development. I think I'm finally at the point where I've started looking at myself first, kind of addressing what my needs, what my wants are, what my interests are before, um, looking at everyone else. So, yeah, in that sense, I've always been a, not the right phrases. Well, everyone's favorite. Let's just say, yeah, yeah. let's just go, go along with that but term.
0: Can I ask you this then? Since you've moved to the UK, have you found that it's made it easier for you not to try and be everyone's favorite, like almost like a clean slate kind of thing? Or has it actually become more difficult in the sense of like, you actually have, like now, like if you think, like I would say we know each other pretty well. <laughs> by this at this stage one, so so maybe, you know, like there's there's less of a need for you to do those things for me, for you to feel like I, you need to do those things to be accepted by me. You already know, you and I are very close friends. So you don't actually need to do anything other than being yourself. So my question is, is being in a new space, has it made you feel A, like you need to do more of the everybody's favorite kind of behaviors or B, more like, hey, actually he has an opportunity for me to just be myself. What have you found has been your thing since you've been living there?
1: So for me, moving over has highlighted the importance of self-reflection and introspection. Um, It's given me a lot more time to kind of work through my layers and find out at the heart, what, what do I want? What are my interests? Like I said, I've Used a lot of my life to portray what other people want me to look like or if i've set a standard growing up so say my family and my um family friends i'm seen as the golden child Ah, oh, tevin is always the one that um, listens to his parents he um, took an interest in kind of the avenues that parents would like their, their child to yeah to go down um, I wasn't in trouble I didn't cause any conflict That kind of thing So mm. it's always the, the Reliable uh, A safe option Yeah exactly yeah. It's the reliable The safe option Which Once you Actually um, Investigate or, or do a bit of a Deeper dive Where in that How much of that Is Me That Is true to me And how much of that Is the kind of persona that I want people to invest in. And how much of that investment is me? I don't know if that makes sense. Like if I've put up a certain persona, if you know Tevin as mystery liable, if I were to do something that is inertly true to myself, but seems so out of character, it's going to come off almost like something's changed. Who are you? Who is this new person? Why are you acting like this? This is so out of character for you when in the reality or in the, in the true sense of things, it could be just the, the true, um, yeah. reflection yeah. of who I am yeah. So, moving to England. I've spent a lot of time doing deep dives because of the social kind of climate here. So because I'm a lot more isolated, I don't have as much of a social net and I don't have the environment that isn't as socially driven as what yeah. you'd find in South Africa, yeah. I found, um, it's worked in my advantage to be okay. a lot more, um, socially accepting of myself before yes. I've even taken a look at, at anyone else. Okay. Uh, how about Quite, you?
0: I like that. For me, um, a lot has changed for me as an individual since I've moved here. Um, f- so for me, it wasn't necessarily being the, um what did you call it everybody's favorite it wasn't necessarily about that maybe not in the same way so for me my biggest thing for the longest time was substances so uh, I always used to be so scared of like um you know my identity got very tied to various substances that I used in my life so it was often like oh if I stop doing this will I lose this part of myself will I lose these friends or will this happen or you know, whatever, whatever. But since I've been here, I've really relished an opportunity of like, like that clean slate kind of thing. Like even when I moved from South Africa to the first area that I moved to, which was Bang Sen, I already had an opportunity to, with people that didn't know me, I had an opportunity to become the kind of person that I wanted to be in that space. And I built a persona or I became who I was in that space. And then obviously human beings are dynamic and I changed. And what I noticed is as I was changing, I was also losing friends. Um, but I kind of became more true to myself. And I understood that, you know, like the the right people are the people that will stay around. And, you know, I, I started trusting myself. And then when I moved from there to Bangkok, I loved it because I was in a very stable um, mental space. And I really trusted myself. And I was really able to kind of just move into a new space a new school new people around me that didn't know me and i had the opportunity to put forward the person that i wanted to be and not have any ties to the past not yeah. like uh you know you're not met with like a like you know since i for example since i stopped drinking you know it's always it always like oh but you, you it's tyler like what do you mean you stopped drinking like that's crazy you know like whereas yeah. when i came here I didn't have to say that I stopped, it's that I don't, it's a whole yeah. different thing, you know, and there's no tie to the past of what I used to do or what I used to be. And that has been really, really refreshing, um, you know, for me personally, and it, you know, kind of ties to the third section that we'll speak about. But I just quickly want to hop into the second section that yeah. they mentioned in this figuring out what you want out of life. And I want to ask you if you've done this. So they speak about the person who wrote this article, um, speaks about, um, the person who wrote it is actually Ali Volpe. I think, I hope I'm saying that correctly, but, um, basically they speak about living on autopilot. Now, what they mean by this is that a lot of, and I think this is so true. A lot of people just never actually consider what they want out of life. They and social media, I think, is a big part of this. But you consume this media in the form of TV shows, social media, etc. And also you consume what's happening um, by your loved ones, like your parents and the people that are around you. And obviously we consume, like, the lives that our parents lived, and we live in a different generation. It's not the same, so our life will never be the same. But we look at all these things that are around us, and we just look at fulfilling these scripts. So you look at the, the life of shoulds right? You should go to university. You should get married. You should buy a big house. You should have kids. You should aspire to climb the co- corporate ladder. And there's actually very little room for improvising, right? There's yeah. very little room for deviation. Sure. Um, and obviously a lot of these mi- milestones are tied to wealth, um, which, you know, you can say what you want, but money really does make the world go around. But basically what they are saying is that you shouldn't be afraid of straying off the path of the should. Right. So, I mean, if you look at you and I, for example, to a large extent, we have followed the narrative of the shoulds. We went to school, we went to university, we got married, but then we chose a time in our lives when maybe things weren't so stable and we both not, not weren't so stable. Things were very stable in a lot of senses. I know for you and for me, I was at a good school back home. Um, you know, there was a lot of things that, but then we strayed from the path, right? If you want to call it that a lot of people, when they go overseas, they do it before they go to university. Oh, you go for a year or two, you come back and then you get I'm back into the life of shoulds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go find yourself. Then you come back to the life of shoulds. Then you come yeah. back, you get married, you settle down, you buy a house, et cetera. We've done it the other way. And what they talk about is like, when you stray from this path of the should, whether you do that on purpose or an accident, that's when you considered, when I like this phrase, that you consider whether the road well-traveled is the right road for you. So the, the road well-traveled is obviously the road of shoulds. And once you stray off that path, that's when you stop and you look and you're like, okay, well, is that the road for me? And I wanted to get your opinion on, on living at a sense of autopilot. Do you think you did? And do you think that your big move and the place that you're at in your life right now is maybe contrasting to that autopilot, and if you've learned anything about it,
1: oh, these are some hard-hitting questions, man. Very good questions at that. Um, yeah, definitely a, uh, a big um, part of autopilot. I'd say goes hand in hand with the conforming to society. So, <clears throat> um, yeah. In, in order to live up to what the societal narrative is about what the model person or the model student, the model, son, the model, yeah, everything needs to look like. You generally don't take time to to stop and think also because like in this day and age, there's so much to be done in what we as the microwave generation feel needs to be instantaneous it feels like there's so much pressure put on individuals to be something make make something of themselves have your life in order have a career have have aspirations and kind of fulfill them immediately um so there's just so much social pressure that it's hard sometimes just to take a second to think and i find myself going through a lot of autopilot and be it um, consciously or subconsciously. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you could also draw comparisons, but having a sibling is always, especially an older sibling, is almost a, a ground to work towards or a a roadmap predetermined for you. So I, I've followed a lot of what my brother did. So I have an older brother um, and I kind of looked to match that or work in accordance to that. So early on um obviously schooling wise it just makes sense so he goes to a certain school i'll follow in his tracks um accomplishments i also try to match that he's a very smart guy he's good at sports i try to become something like that and in that maybe there's a part of yourself that gets lost um, because all that focus is on trying to be uh, a in 2.0 and it's only yeah. like i said like you said once you deviate from that path or you take a pause for a break and you think okay um this is good and well he's an exceptional person and i love that about him but what about that is me and how do i kind of break down this um so autopilot in that sense um is one of the parts or components to it secondly once i went into the working world so i finish my studies. And then whilst I was like a foot into the working world, I thought oh, this isn't quite working out about where I saw my studies leading me to. So let me go and yeah. study again. So I got into the working and studying at the same time thing. And wow, that has been autopilot for the past three years. So in that aspect, I was always living in a very fight or flight mode um, to kind of, um, Contextualize it I was always having to do something at one time or another so they didn't always feel like there was time just to sit think what what am I working towards why am I doing that I kind of jumped dove right in and you're looking to see it through so I finally got the job I've, I'm studying towards a certain goal and I think as another level or another layer to that coming from a non-white background there's always um a lot of pressure to supersede what your parents have done so because they've been fortunate enough very off man i'm speaking from a lot of privilege here i got the opportunity to go to good schools i managed to go to varsity like you said Um, i got given leeway to decide what i wanted to study and what i wanted to work in and it wasn't part of the um general narrative you have to be an accountant a lawyer a doctor Mm. I was fortunate that my parents allowed me to kind of figure out what I wanted to do and pursue that so um, being non-white you have that extra level of like you said the mold you have to follow this route of shoulds and once we broke away from that and coming to again clean slate new place i've broken the the general narrative of it and it's it's been challenging it's been enlightening it's been um yeah a massive learning curve because i came from something that was very safe and i I generally build a lot of my life around safety around um, having all my boxes ticked the t's crossed, the i's dotted so there's some level of security because beyond that, the unknown is just so fast. I don't know what could happen. So there needs to be an element of safety and moving out of that safety net into something that's completely deep in the water has been life-changing. It's been scary. I mean, I came from having a good stable, well-paying job to now being back to a full-time student, but that's come with its own set of, um, advantages as well. So to break the autopilot mold, I think it's only happened now in the year 2022. So yeah. It's quite a revelation. I don't know how you've, um, and I think, to be as well,
0: Well, I mean, that's kind of what they're saying, isn't it? In the article, like it's, it's only when you stray off the path of this autopilotness, this autopilot route that you realize what it is or what it is, what it isn't, you know, like, um, I, personally never saw myself moving overseas. I never really thought about it. Um, and since I have, I personally don't see myself ever going back. Um, so that, and that's just me. Um, and you know, for me, the, the path of the shoulds, I don't know if I kind of ever was, I mean, I was on it, but I also wasn't, you know, I mean, maybe I wasn't as much of the, the model <laughs> individual <laughs> um you know like i've done some 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 things that maybe wouldn't make me like a necessarily a role model in some ways but you know so but in a lot of ways i did follow that autopilot way that like oh you know you have to do this followed by this then you have to do that um and i think maybe i was even on that path subconsciously or subliminally um and yeah i think it's the same as you since moving overseas and kind of breaking that mold it's been really good for me personally. I I don't foresee, like I said, I don't think I would ever um, look back on it. Um, And this actually leads into the third point is like, and the final point is where they encourage you, um, when you're trying to figure out what you want out of life, you have to look internally, obviously, right? So you have to look at, um, to focus on the events that make your life meaningful, um, they say, people unsurprisingly feel more competent and more connected to others when they find that the motivation for doing things are intrinsic as opposed to external. So they find that, you know, like things are more meaningful to them. Like perhaps like even for for example, like making this podcast was like, we had an intrinsic thing that what we wanted to do was to create this thing. And it makes it a lot easier for us to do it. And don't get me wrong. There's times that I'm sure we both feel like this is a lot. It's a lot of hard work, you know, input versus outcome you know it's not necessarily always an easy thing but when it comes internally or intrinsically i often sit and i think and i'm like i'm actually so proud of the thing that we've got going here with its whatever how many views it is that it gets a week Mm -hmm. and listens it that doesn't matter to me because ultimately i look within myself and i'm like this is something i've always wanted to do and i'm doing it you know and yeah sure maybe the outcome isn't like Exploding off the charts and whatever, but it's never been about that. It's been internally that this means something to me, um, you know, and it's it's something that I've always wanted to do. And yeah. that also links to the final point where it's like, it's like you need to ask yourself why. Why are you doing certain things? Why is it that you want a big house? Why is it that you want your kids to go to a certain school? Why is it that you want to climb the corporate ladder? Um, is it because you're looking for validation? Um, you know, are you doing things because it's something that you wanted your mom and dad to do? Uh your mom and dad wanted you to do, sorry. Yeah. Um and again, I link it to the podcast, you know, for example, like someone has said to me the other day, like, Are you making money off the podcast? And I was like, No, not 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 at all, really. It's like, Oh, you know, like I mean like the feeling I got was like, Oh, what a waste of time. And I was kind of like, Well, A, I'm not asking you to do it, so just calm down. But B, like (laughs) If you, if you just stop and instead of asking me if I'm making money, if you just ask me, why am I doing it? And you actually listen to the reasoning that I have, you know, like if I say to you, like I'm learning so many skills, like my speaking skills are getting so much better. You know, my, um, I've been doing some of the editing on the side when yeah. Tev has been a bit busy and that's been really cool to learn. Then. Thank you. Thank you. But that's been a cool thing to learn building the website. That was awesome to learn. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's just something that I've always wanted to do and, when i look back at this moment however long this thing may last um i'll always look back at it fondly and i know it's because we did this another reason that we do it is obviously you and i get a lot of chance to spend time together and talk and it's been really cool like you know i feel really close to you as a friend and i'll always look back at this fondly and there's no way i can be like i didn't do that for myself um and you know that's will be like my final thing on this is like that i've looked internally And I feel super proud. And I'm just using this as an example. There's many areas in my life where an important part is asking yourself why you're doing something. And if you can answer that, that you're doing it for yourself, then you're definitely on the right path.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're striking a lot of emotional chords here, man. It's hard-hitting truths. This is why we love this um, section of the podcast. It's very honourable. I think it's. Often, like, I don't know for you, but for me, it's a very difficult thing. Um, So more often than not, I was always the guy that put everyone else's needs before my own as a sign or as a a means of validation, as a means of ensuring that I I met a certain image or a certain mold that was likable, you know? So it was almost a self-preservation in a way which ironically is, is strange because you don't take the time to figure out what it is that you want, how you plan on going about it. Um, so that's been quite a challenging, um, aspect to navigate for me yeah. to actually just have a conversation with myself. Like what is it that you want? How are you feeling? Gosh, if I have to do a deep dive into feelings and being, um, vulnerable and, you know, just being very, um, heart on arm. That's, yeah, been a revelation for me. And I think, like you said, I've also gotten the, the question, are you getting paid for this? How much are you making from this podcast? And as great as that is, and maybe we'll, we'll get to that point one day. It's, um, <laughs> I <I'm> know. <still waiting. laughs> it's, it's, um, honestly just the, the thought behind it and the the feelings. If I if I center my conversation around the feelings and the emotional part of things in life, we do a lot of um, things for for mean sake. So um, mean to an end. I need to get a job. I need to get money. I need to get paid. I need to do. It. There's a lot of tasks. We almost um, center our, our lives around it being task based but very um, seldomly do we take an account of the emotions or the feelings behind those actions or those tasks. Why, Tyler, are you doing this? How do you feel about it? It's been, again, a revelation, something that my wife Lisa has kind of educated me on is we can always have a conversation. I can chat to you about um, life in Thailand. How's work going? How is your social life going? Did you do anything fun? And these are great questions to ask. Sure. But I need more underlying um, information. Tyler, how are you doing? How do you feel about um, what you're doing at work? What you are doing at work? How is it impacting on you? Once I kind of move past that first layer of the onion, I get so much insight and so much um, fulfillment in knowing who you are at your depth rather than what you you portray. So Tyler, why are you doing this podcast? It's it's an opportunity for me to um, share parts of myself that I didn't feel comfortable sharing previously. Now maybe the world is seeing a part of me that only my loved ones had previously been um, privileged to see. So a platform like the podcast, it's been amazing to have these kind of conversations kind of get insight into, where you are um, for your ambitions so knowing who you are at your core i've been privileged enough to come to know that and now i'm just getting more and more and more and more insight into all the 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 various dimensions to you which yeah. i think this podcast has been a perfect tool for that like you said it's given um, a means for expression it's given um need fulfillment in other ways. I didn't think I would be a a podcaster. I didn't think I could be a producer, an editor, a host of a show. This is not something that I tangibly thought was possible. Always a a random thought. But the fact that it's been made real is just one of those reasons. So very important point. I love this article. And I think it's something that I'd be looking back on just to remind myself. Why? I think why we always ask the what, the when, the how, but we don't ask the why question as yeah. often.
0: So no. Yeah. And I encourage we'll, we'll put a little picture of the article, maybe we'll put a link um, down in the description if anyone wants to go ahead and have a read of it. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really, really nice, wholesome way to kind of wrap that up is always just remember to ask yourself why, why are you listening to the podcast? Because it's dope. Why? You want to <laughs> listen to us? No problem. I'm just making a joke. but. Yeah, I think it's a really nice way to to close it off. Um, And like Tev likes to say, just please remember, ask yourself why, first of all. Secondly, you know where to find us now. By now, you know it's the Spotify, it's Instagram, it's TikTok, although I'm slacking on TikTok. But Instagram, TikTok, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube. Obviously, the website is what connects you to all of that. And we look forward to catching up with you guys next week. And we hope you all keep well.